This is the Luke Thomas Show podcast. You can listen to the full show weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Today on the Luke Thomas Show podcast, we're going to talk about what should be next for Anderson Silva. Even Dana White doesn't really know. Uh, Laura Senko is going to be here to recap UFC Vegas 2 from the weekend. Plus, we'll have some cuts from Dana White on Fight Island and why he believes no cards are ever bad. We'll talk about that. The Luke Thomas Show airs weekdays at 1 p.m. East Coast time right here on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Do not forget about the mailbag, Show at gmail.com. Happy Monday to everyone. I hope you are well. I know I am. Had a uh, first weekend ever since the pandemic. So what, March 8th or something? That I left the city limits. I didn't go far, though. I just went to Northern Virginia. Um, boy, I got to tell you, I was shocked. I, I, you know, listen, this is just not the worst way to start the show. So I'll make it fast and then move on. I do not understand these folks who are like, who think wearing masks is some kind of constitutional crisis they don't understand the issue i mean here reality you cannot explain why japan has had the outbreak that they have had which is to say not very much of one unless you have uh masks at the top of the list i don't get it i don't understand why it's such a big deal just put on the goddamn mask it's not that big a deal Anyway, people in Northern Virginia weren't doing it. Uh, if you guys have not been paying attention, you know I don't know where things go from here. It's very hard to tell. But uh, some bars in Florida are already having to shut down after phase two because from Florida and South Carolina all the way to California, there are peaking cases uh, day after day. So we'll see where it goes from here. But I was shocked that Northern Virginia, there's just not much mask wearing relative to uh, where I live, which is in the district proper. I couldn't believe it. I was like, okay. Not that hard to do. Just put the damn thing on. Most of y'all's breath is horrendous anyway, right? Just put that on. Not a big deal. Go in the store. All right. Well, why am I on my soapbox? Nobody cares. Okay. 877-FIGHT-93. 877-344-4893. So let's get to this. Uh, UFC Vegas 2 is what they're calling it. It is in the books. First of all, we got to be honest about it. Relative to its expectations, certainly it over-delivered. Now, I saw some people being like, wow, this card was amazing because I skipped most of it live and then went back and watched it after the fact. I mean, I think they're exaggerating a little bit. It certainly wasn't, you know, crazy good, but it was good. It was good. And in fact, I think it was like the first three or four fights, the first three fights, all ended respectively 59 seconds, 32 seconds, 22 seconds. So the first three fights didn't even make it to the second ra- uh, minute of the first round. So pretty interesting results therein. Uh, now, of course, there was a bunch of fights that had fallen off, right? We lost the Ray Borg fight, a bunch of donks had missed weight, blah, blah, blah. But okay, you know, it deserves to be mentioned that there may have been, I think, four decisions on the main card, but there were two submissions and... Uh, um, it definitely, relative to expectations, delivered more than we thought it was going to. Hey, is Ty on the show today? I think Ty is here, right? Ty, are you on the show? Ty, my That's friend. Cool. How are you doing today? Good. Ty, I saw this over the weekend. Steven Jackson, by the way, who's retired, of course, has taken a very activist role in the wake of his friend uh, being killed, George Floyd. But also Kyrie Irving coming out and saying that there should not be a season. I think I even saw... Uh, who's the big donk who played for uh, the Wizards and then is back to the Lakers? I forget his name, but Dwight Howard. Uh, he's also recommending that there be no season. Is there going to be an NBA season or not? I think we will get a season. There are some people who feel like, and it's 
you know, well-founded that we've made so much progress with this movement. And part of it is because we haven't had sports. Like you've been forced to listen to it. You've been forced to watch it because if we had a season, we'd be breaking down game seven of the NBA finals. But because we don't, now everyone's on notice about what needs to happen in our country. So I think they're worried about being the first league back and creating a distraction, which you you could argue, Lucas, but well-founded, right? You would agree with that? Yeah, potentially. But um, I, I think some people are actually going to sit out, but I, I feel like we are going to eventually get a season. July 31st, I think the, the season will start and we'll crown a champion. Uh, you know, obviously, if there's no coronavirus outbreak happening. What was the Patrick Beverly social media message? He was saying if LeBron wants to hoop, y'all are going to hoop. You know, was he in favor of LeBron saying that or was he against LeBron saying that? No, I think he knows that the power that LeBron holds, it, he's the face of the league. He is someone who doesn't need a platform to get his message across. So that, it's the truth. If if the face of your league, whether it's Brady and Rodgers in the NFL, you know, taking Mike Trout in baseball, when the face of your league speaks, his vote kind of holds more power than anyone else's. Yeah, I don't know. We're so weird over the weekend, right? Because Kyrie's making news. Then, uh, you know, Major League Baseball, Cobb, and its union cannot, I mean, they just cannot find a way to get going. You can blame whoever you want, but they can't. And then, I don't know if you saw this, I think it was Texas or maybe Tennessee. I can't remember exactly where it was. Um, They're having some of these student athletes come back for football to get the ball rolling a little bit in these practices. And it was either, I mean, maybe even Alabama too, but some of these D1 programs are having like multiple kids test positive for COVID-19. Have you seen any of this? And I'm like, dude, I don't know how many sports are going to be here in the fall. Maybe I'm being a little bit alarmist. In fact, I probably am. Uh, But between, or I should say among those three things, it wasn't exactly the most inspiring weekend for the belief that sports will come back. That's what I would say, Cobb. Would you agree? Yeah, I have no idea what's going to happen. I think you're right. I think it was Alabama where the kid or a bunch of the kids tested positive, just doing a couple like summer warmups and like <laughs> it's uh, I don't know how they're going to handle it. If they, uh, the NCAA needs football to come back. So I think they're going to go through with it no matter what. But I don't know how they're going to make it safe for all these kids. And Dana White over the weekend, by the way, saying, you know, uh, we haven't given an announcement yet for where the Stipe and DC fight is going to be. Or I don't think they've even announced um Madoff and Justin, which is supposed to be in September, because the hope is they're going to have arenas. And I'm thinking to myself, well, if you want to go to uh, New Zealand, you're in business. New Zealand hasn't had a new COVID case in over three weeks. Not one, not, not a death, not a hospitalization, a case, nothing in over three weeks. So yeah, you take the party to New Zealand, you can have all the fans you want in attendance. And I'm sure there might be some other countries that have done pretty well as well, like Denmark or, you know, whatever, all the Nordic countries maybe except Sweden. Uh, but in Los Estados Unidos, I don't know, man. I don't I don't know how that's going to work. I don't think, I, you know, I guess we're going to see how these places handle it. And, and here's the funny part about it, too. These universities, this is not the case in the NBA, but these universities were making student-athletes sign the exact same waiver. I mean, not like literally the exact same waiver, but this basically the same waiver saying, if you get this, uh, if you get COVID-19, we're not responsible. <laughs> and I was like, uh, that sounds familiar. All right. 877-FIGHT-93, 877-344-4893. It's going to be very curious to see which sports come back and which ones don't. Um, but right now, let's turn our attention to a bit of something else here, if we can, which is uh, Anderson Silva and what we're supposed to do with this at this point. 
Uh, when I say this, I mean his situation. So he's got two fights left on his deal, and I think he wants some kind of farewell tour. You know, he wants to do the whole Derek Jeter thing where he shows up at all the various ballparks and they're giving him surfboards and trophies and plaques and, you know, that kind of a thing, which you can understand, right? I mean, you can make a case pretty clearly he's either the best fighter ever or certainly one of them at a bare minimum. And so what do we do? What do we do with that? Uh, I, I came out and said, and I'm, I've had to rethink it, to be quite honest with you. I've come out and said when he called out Connor, you know, I was very much against it because it just did not interest me. And I can't say that it now interests me. That's not a thing I'm prepared to say. But I was willing to say afterwards, well, if it keeps Connor happy and in rotation, then just do it because that's a thing you would want to do to foster positive relationships and stronger frequency with a fighter of that caliber. I mean, if you're waiting for Gates to come back, again, there might be places that if you want to take a show to New Zealand or you know, various uh, Nordic countries that have done really well or whatever. Yes, you can probably have Gates there, but um, assuming you can get everyone to those places. But otherwise, you're going to have a really hard time. Okay, you have a very hard time having a gate. So if you're waiting on that, I think you're just waiting too long. But again, if it keeps Connor in rotation and it makes it makes Anderson happy, you know, I fail to see the problem with it, to be honest with you. And then we have this other situation where he says, okay, and I think he called out Anthony Pettis over the weekend. And Anthony Pettis was like, let's do it, bro. Let's make something happen. Of course, what's the common denominator here? Yes, he's calling out smaller people, but he's calling out strike-friendly smaller people, people who are not, you know, reliably can be understood as not willing to take them to the ground. They're going to win or they're going to lose on their feet. And okay, you know, if you don't like Connor versus uh, Silva, there's not many other reasons to like Pettis versus Silva a whole lot more, except to say... I kind of understand where Silva's coming from here a little bit. Dude, if you're Anderson Silva, you have, I mean, understand where he has been, right? Uh, and, and, and his age and the miles and what he's asking for here. Okay, Anderson Silva currently sits at 45 years old. Not a spring chicken, all right? He has only won a fight uh, since 2013 one time. Technically speaking, it was in 2017 against Derek Brunson. You could say he won the Nick Diaz fight, but it was overturned. We all know that. So on the ledger, he's got one W since 2013. He's got two losses to Chris Weidman, both of them stoppages, and one of them obviously we know is a horrific one. He's got the win turned no contest, so it's a no contest now over Nick Diaz. He's got the loss to Michael Bisping, which I thought Bisping won. He's got the loss to Daniel Cormier, which granted he was coming in on short notice, extreme short notice, but short notice. He beat Derek Brunson, but it wasn't exciting. He had the fight against Israel Adesanya. He maybe took a round, but it wasn't enough. And then he had the leg kick injury against Jared Cannonier back in May. So he hasn't competed in over a year. He's 45 years old. We're talking about maybe the greatest fighter of all time. His win streak from the Tony Frickland fight at Cage Rage 16 all the way to UFC 153 in October of 2012 against Stefan Bonner is one of the great win streaks in all of MMA. So let me see if I understand something. Number one, we're talking about not an ordinary fighter asking for a favor. We're talking about maybe the best one ever asking for a favor. What does Anderson Silva do, need to do to get a favor returned? He fought uh, Michael Bisping in London. He filled in against Daniel Cormier on what, 24, 48 hours notice? 
uh, for UFC 200. He fought Derek Brunson, which had virtually no upside. He fought Adesanya, which, okay, could have done him some good. And that was, you know, you could say they may be doing him a solid. But to me, that was more about building up Israel. And then he took on Jared Cannonier. Granted, it was in Brazil. But what does he really get out of that? To me, you've got two real big considerations here to make about Anderson Silva that I think put the argument in his favor pretty cleanly. One, he's 45 years old. He doesn't have much time left, as we know, two fights. And he's one of the greatest fighters ever. I don't think it's the end of the world where if you don't want to give him both of his last fights being against what you want to call, I'm going to, not in a disparaging way, but a frivolous fight, right? It doesn't mean anything for either fighter other than it's entertaining. It could sell reasonably. You can't do that for the guy who has been with you since October of 2006 and has been one of your best fighters, excuse me, June of 2006 and has been one of your best fighters ever if not the best. So on that level, he's got an argument. On the other level, this guy has been doing solids for the UFC for some time. I just mentioned him against Cormier on short notice, fighting Bisping in his hometown, taking the Brunson and Cannoneer fights, which didn't do anything for him. The Adesanya fight, of course, had some intrigue, but that was mostly for Adesanya. Really, he can't get a Connor or a, even an Anthony Pettis fight? Why? I'm not telling you I love it, but I think there's a lot of people who might. And I think it would sell certainly better than, you know, who are some other contenders that they're going to give him if they don't give him this one? So where is he at, Anderson Silva? Is he even ranked in the top 15 at this point? No, of course he's not. What are they going to do? They're going to give him Omari Akhmedov, and that's a better one? Right? You're going to give him the, you know, if Edmund Shabazian wins his next one, okay, that'd be kind of interesting because Shabazian is like a striker and he's maybe the next big thing in that division. All right, I wouldn't be opposed to that, but, you know, he has to take on these tough-ass challengers who have everything to gain. And remember what promoters want to do, right? This is a game where, in MMA, promoters feed the elderly to the young so that however much, you know, name value and uh, brand value you've built up, that gets transferred over to the next generation when they fight these older uh, figures in the, in the game and then take what they have earned, right? It's a sort of passing of the torch moment. All right, I mean, that wouldn't be the end of the world if you did that. Really, he can't get one solid. And then Dana White's like scratching his head like, we're not sure what we want to do with him. Man, this ain't that complicated. It's not that hard to figure out. It really isn't. Yeah, Connor fight, okay, you could say yes or no on it. Pettis fight, you could say yes or no on it. Why would you say no to both? And if not one of those, something else like it seems totally in order. Dude, though, it's a crazy time. Why not think a little bit outside the box at least one time? So I'm making the case for it in the sense of if you don't do it, it puts you in a weird spot. I'm not arguing for it because I actually love him. I just think the alternative here about where you end up if you don't do it it's not some great place. And, and frankly, could you make the case that Anderson's kind of owed a little bit of a, I'm not going to say easy fight here because maybe Connor or Pettis beat him. I, I don't know at this point. But, you know, something a little fun, something a little different, something a little outside the box, something other than just fighting somebody where even if he wins, he doesn't get a whole lot out of it. And he probably can't beat those other guys anyway at this point. You know, he's not beating top contenders anymore, man. That's not the space he's really in, not very easily. So fuck it, have him fight somebody else. 
If I'm telling you I don't see the harm, I really don't know who can. This is a, you know, I'm not going to say easy problem to solve because we're living in a world where I don't know if any problems are easy to solve these days. This This does not need to be as complicated as it has been. There are some straightforward solutions here we can adopt. And I think this, either the Pettis fight or the Connor fight or something just like it, is exactly what the doctor ordered for Anderson Silva. It might make sense for all the parties involved, and maybe you could say he's kind of owed it as well. This week on World of Basketball, Hall of Fame coach and Iona head coach Rick Patino joined the show, and he spoke about the crazy eccentric owner of his old team, Panathinaikos. He was fined uh, $300,000 after a victory. He went in the officials' locker room and threatened the mothers, the daughters, the sisters of all the referees and told the referees they would not get out of Greece alive. New episodes of World of Basketball are available every Thursday on the SiriusXM app, Pandora, and Apple Podcasts. All right, let's get to it now. Joining us uh, via the magic of Zoom, you saw her in a number of different roles. She was interviewing fighters. Um, she was talking to people, I think, backstage, but also on Friday, it should be noted, <laughs> serving as an analyst on the UFC's pre-fight show, it is our friend and yours, Laura Senko. Hi, Laura. Welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me, as always. Uh, all right, Laura, how's the travel been, by the way? Are you, you must be flying back and forth to Vegas. Is it weird getting on airplanes? You know, I, I, I did the stints in Florida as well. So at this point it feels fairly normal minus I, I, I hate, I hate having to wear a mask on a flight just cause I feel like I'm suffocating all the time, but Southwest keeps that center seat open, which is nice. Um, I feel like things are kind of getting back to normal. I'm, uh, I'm not hating it. All right. I have, I'm trying to decide if I want to get on a plane, but then, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what I'm looking for, and I never seem to find it. But yeah. let's get to the uh, <laughs> let's get to the fight results themselves, if we can. All right, let's start with the main event. Uh, okay, Cynthia taking on Jessica I here, winning unanimous decision. I, of course, missing weight. What did you make of the weight missing controversy? Whether it was a quarter pound or a three pounds, what is your sense about what's the truth here? Uh, my sense is that uh, Cynthia w- was saying the truth in the press conference. Um, I had, I, I, now I, I have not personally seen, uh, any texts or anything like that. So this is somewhat speculation on my part, but it was, she was not the only person that I heard, uh, that information from, I think, um, she might've grabbed the, uh, the curtain a little bit, but here's the deal with that. I, I don't love it. I don't, uh, but I don't, I don't necessarily, I, I I've been, I've been on what feels like the brink of death before. So I don't, I don't come down too hard on fighters who are just in that moment of desperation. What I didn't love was the, I'm so proud of myself afterwards. You know what I mean? Like that, that Mm. I don't, I don't love, I don't love, I don't love it when fighters take that tone. And honestly, same thing with Carl Robertson. Um, I wish (laughs) I like, I like it when fighters are just more contrite after they miss, I guess. I don't know. Maybe that's asking too much, but um, it's such a, when you're the person on the other side of it, it sucks. And I've, I've, I've been there. So I would have loved a little bit different attitude, but you know, fight went on and I, and I'm happy for that. All right. So let's talk about the results. I, you know, here's the thing. It's like, I'm not sure what the right answer is. It's like, 
Did Cynthia go in there and do everything that she needed to to look like a top contender at flyweight? Yes, I think she did. Certainly on the ground. Maybe she could have gotten the takedowns a little bit earlier, as the commentators were saying. But in general, it was a pretty good effort against the ostensible number one contender. And even if you want to say she shouldn't be, it should be Joanne. She beat Joanne in, in, uh, in Calderwood in, in 2017 as well. At the same time, though, and I don't want to be too harsh about it, it's like... They're trying to put some fresh blood in here in this division, which I get. And, of course, Cynthia had her own issues making weight. I just didn't see a whole lot there that makes me think that the fight with Shevchenko is all that competitive. So I'm, I'm, I, she should be very happy. I don't know. I still just don't think this is the answer to what flyweight really needs. Where are you on this whole spectrum? Yeah, I think I'm probably in a slightly different spot than you are, although I, I totally I understand your perspective. I think I chalk a lot of um, her you know, it, it wasn't a, it wasn't in a, a jaw dropping performance. We'll put it that way. Right. Like she looked really solid. She, she showed a really well-rounded skill set, as you said, got the takedowns when they mattered. Um, but wasn't, you know, I wasn't blown out, out of the water by it, but I don't think enough attention was paid to how short her camp really was. I mean, she, not only did she moving up a, a weight class, but she's working out of AKA and AKA shut down a week after she got there. So she got about a week of solid work in, um, while Habib was still there. And then the gym went, you know, gone. And st- I know some gyms have sort of continued to, to function to some degree or another. M- mine has throughout the entire quarantine, AKA did not, they were shut down. And so not only is she at, at a new camp, but she's not really in a position where she can be asking favors from the coaching staff, from training partners out there. Like, Hey, can you guys figure out your schedules to come spend more time with me. So hmm. um, she really only got about three solid weeks. I mean, she was training at home. She had Ron Kessler the entire time, but not a true camp. I, I, I'm hopeful that with a real camp, with a hard, you know, six or eight week in the gym with the right people, with all the coaches, all that stuff, I think we're going to see a whole nother level from her. And even then the level that we did see was enough to kind of make me go, okay, she, she poses some interesting bets. You, you, you look at the top of the flyweight division, there are not a lot of strong wrestlers there. And I think that she does have the potential to be pretty threatening in terms of the takedown. And if she can continue to grow and blend that in uh, even more effectively, I, I, I would like to see her fight Shevchenko, maybe not right away. I, I want to see her maybe have one more fight, uh, see what kind of performance we see there. And if there's uh, if there's good stuff, I actually think that the matchup with Shevchenko, with she- Shevchenko could be pretty interesting. That's an interesting point. It's a fair one to make as well. It's a good correction. I'm glad you made it. On the other hand, I think the last thing I'd say is, you know, let's say she's better on the ground than Shevchenko, just pure jiu-jitsu, which I think would not be a crazy argument necessarily to make, but you have to get it there, right? And so one of the things that really yeah. stands out to me at 125 for Shevchenko, 135 to an extent as well, uh, was her physicality. And I think I wonder about that. And just in yeah. terms of physicality, what would you say is the gap between Shevchenko and most of the contenders? massive it's massive it's it's that's i think that is the thing of course there's technique i mean the the gap unfortunately the gaps exist in every facet of the game at least from what we can see um i do think though that again if cynthia if cynthia can settle in at flyweight and maybe put on a little bit of mass spend some time um really focusing on building her strength and her physicality she was cutting so hard to straw weight so so hard straw weight. So I don't know that we really have an entire understanding of how physical she can be in a fight when she's really worked hard on focusing on that. But yeah, Shevchenko, I mean, 
she, she's the one who gave Amanda Nunes the featherweight championship, the best run for her money. So yeah, the gap is certainly there. And I find myself making these, these arguments. I don't think I'm reaching too much, but I find myself constantly, uh, trying to convince myself and talking more about these contenders because it's kind of like, okay, how do I make a case for anyone but Shevchenko, right? Hmm. Yeah, fair enough. Laura Senko joins us here on the Luke Thomas Show. All right, we go to Marvin Vittori taking on Carl Robertson. Do we know, okay, so the whole reason why this fight took place over the weekend and, and Vittori looked great, we'll talk about it in just a minute, but the whole reason that this fight took place on this weekend is because Roberson, Robertson missed weight back in Jacksonville and they had to get hospitalized and they had to delay it. And then he misses by another four pounds. Okay, I, I'm willing to, I'm like you. Jessica, I took it on short notice. It's a pandemic. You know, you got to cut people some slack, right? Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this one's a little bit different, though. I mean, back-to-back misses and not even close. Do we know yeah. why he missed so badly? I don't know specifically why he missed so badly. Um, I, I know that he was working with a nutritionist this time. And I, I know that during the week itself, he was in close contact with uh, the PI staff and they call he missed, he missed so badly this time because they called it and they said, listen, we want, we want you to be able to make it to the fight. We're oh, starting see. to see signs that, cause I, I, I believe they actually um, were concerned about rhabdo when he was in Florida. I don't know if you're familiar with what that is, but um, yes. Overtraining basically. Yeah. yeah. And, and then, and the, the, I'm not going to get this perfectly right, but essentially the, the, the tear of the muscles, like the, the, the stuff that the muscles are shedding as they get overworked end up in your kidneys and basically shut your kidneys down. So, but it has, it has some specific symptoms. So that is what they were calling it for in Florida. And my understanding is they were starting to see maybe some signs that they were headed that direction again. And so they called it early, which is why you saw him weigh in pretty early in that nine to 11 window, which normally be like, okay, dude, you know, you've got two more hours. Let's keep, let's keep pushing here. But it was the PI staff and his nutritionist that said, no, we just, we just want to make it. And I don't know if they spoke to Marvin's camp. I don't think that they did. Uh, but Marvin was just happy to fight (laughs) at that point. All right, so let's talk about Marvin here. You know, it's kind of funny. I feel bad for the guy because he had the USADA issue, which he was ultimately exonerated about. Yeah. And he's had he's been inconsistent, not so much in his uh, uh, level of ability, but in just being able to get out there and fight. And, uh, you know, you could tell he had not nerves, but he had all this like energy up yeah. front that he was dealing with. You know, he's got some meathead tendencies, but I do think he's pretty talented. Where would you say is the upside, as we can tell right now, for Marvin Vittori? I think I don't think I was giving him enough credit. I'll be honest. I I don't think I was paying enough attention to Marvin Vittori. And I think that that's probably the case for maybe some of some other people in the industry. I don't know that we've really given him a fair a fair look. And I do think it has to do with his lack of consistent uh, schedule. Um, my tendency is to kind of look at that fight with Israel Adesanya and only talk about the growth that we saw from Adesanya after that. Therefore, you're kind of implying like, oh, well, he wasn't really fighting the Adesanya that we know now, which you know, may or may not be true. But um, I don't think we know that. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Of course, Israel Adesanya grew after that. But the fact remains, he gave Israel a very, very tough fight. And I know that years have passed since then, but he showed enough for me in that Robertson fight to really go, oh, wow, I, I, I need to spend a little bit more time paying attention to this guy. He's got some super heavy hands and really relentless with training the takedowns. And then as soon as he gets on the ground, I mean, he's just so offensive 
with his with his submission game, but also has the ability to mix in the ground and pound. You know, a lot of times you see someone when they get it to the ground, they're only ground and pound or they're only looking for submissions. And he's able to sort of use the ground and pound to set up submissions. You set use uh, submission attempts to set up ground and pound, and I think that that's a pretty uh, it's a pretty unique skill set. And I think his ceiling is high in this division, higher than I was giving him credit for. It'll be interesting to see where he goes. He's a big, strong kid, true middleweight. I'm looking forward to seeing his growth. I'd be uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the other person on here who really caught my attention, Maria Agapova. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing her name correctly. Yeah, uh, first thing yeah. I want, yeah, first thing I want to say is this is such. I got to tell you, man, I said this on my other show that I did earlier today, and I'll mention it here again, probably for the second time. I do not know where women's MMA would be today if it were not for Invicta, because how many fighters have the UFC pulled from there? And I'm not saying everyone had the longest stint, but that the that Invicta either recruited or served as a place to like, you know, right the ship or just get a little bit more seasoning or stay busy or whatever it ended up being. Honestly, we don't say enough good things about Invicta. And I know you have uh, a soft spot for them as well. I do. I completely agree. I think we forget that, you know, Angela Hill wasn't Angela Hill until she came back from Invicta and really found her feet. Um, Paige Van Zandt, uh, Rose Namajunas, all of these really big names in the game were spent a lot of time in Invicta, either started their entire career in Invicta or, you know, revived their career in the case of Angela Hill. And Maria Gapova is a perfect example of that. I mean, I thought, I thought she looked incredible, but I will say this, she, uh, she fainted, um, when she came back to do her interview with me. Hmm. Why? Yeah. And she, well, I don't know that they were ever really, and I don't think that she was transported. She, she slipped in the doorway, but it wasn't like a, Oh, I'm walking like a perfectly healthy person. And I tripped and oops, you know, she like slipped as in she was losing. Um, she, she was on the verge of, of fainting, was having a hard time sitting up. She was throwing up back there. I think, I think she went out there and she went way harder than she had intended to. I mean, the woman was on fire. I think that the adrenaline, of the moment, knowing what was at stake. I mean, she had fought in that building before and not gotten the contract, not done enough. And I think it was just a case of her first time in the UFC. She just went balls to the wall or lady balls to the wall and uh, got a little over overdone. If that fight had gone into a second round, I, I, I don't, I don't know. It might've, it might've looked a little different. So I hope that she's kind of had a chance to recover and, and can, you know, think about that experience moving forward and, and either, if she's going to fight like that, you, you got to have the cardio to back it up or maybe just like, let's slow down a little bit. Cause that was insane. The pace of that fight was crazy. She yeah, I mean, great. she, she was shot out of a cannon from the word yeah. go on this one. And there's actually a sort of an interesting other conversation here. We'll end on this, which is about Hannah Cyphers, right? So everyone is being like, Oh, is it good to, to get back out there right away? You know, I, I, I don't know what the right answer is. I'm not a coach. I think it's going to depend fighter to fighter. Roosevelt Roberts, who just won is back on a card. Ian Heinish won and he's back on a card. And maybe for them, it will be, uh, I think already for Heinish, it, it's going to be, uh, he already has the first win. Um, and Roberts too, but Cyphers had two losses in a row. What is your view on like whether or not consistent activity? Uh, and, and I guess when I say consistent, I mean like I don't know where you're competing twice in a month long period. Is that good or is that bad? What's what's the rule there from your vantage point? I think the rule really has to do with the matchup and where you stand in the company. So if so, and and i would say you know gina mazzani is is not that she fought frequently but you know she took another a, a last minute fight as well listen when you're 
when you feel like you're standing and the company is at stake and you think you can go in there and at least sort of, you know, take one for the team, do, do, do a solid and maybe have a great performance. I mean, of course you believe, you know, you believe in your abilities going out there. I think, I think more than, I think more than once a month is a little much. Um, I did talk to Hannah before she fought and she, she indicated her knee was really only sore for a day or two and that, you know, she didn't sustain an injury from her fight with Mackenzie Dern. Obviously that was my first thought when I saw her, I thought, holy crap, that her knee did not look good in that situation. But she said, no, it was just sore a couple of days and I was able to train on it. Um, but she was going up a weight class, you know, fighting a girl, but like six inches taller than her. Um, I think that's a managerial decision and less like less, less about, are we going out here to, to, to win a fight or are we just going out here to sort of, you know, get another one in, get some experience knowing that uh, we might not, we might not get this one. Hmm. Uh, all right. And what's next for you? Uh, the, the UFC is keeping everyone busy. What does your travel schedule look like? Uh, I've got a couple weeks off cause I asked for them. <laughs> my son, uh, my son has a birthday. Well, his birthday's in December, but we celebrate it in the summer cause who wants a birthday right before Christmas. Um, so we've got a, we've got a big party come up here and then I'm going to head to fight Island, uh, for I think about 10 or 11 days, which should be quite the adventure. I am, I am equal parts excited and I don't know if not excited is the word, but concerned <laughs> about it. Uh, but more, more excited than any, anything or not. So I'll be there for UFC 251. And then I can't remember the name of the event right after that, but the one on the, um, on the 15th as well. So I'll be oh, so there for those the, two. And you're there for all the title fights then. Yes. Yeah. The flyweight title yes. fight on the three on UFC 251 real quickly. Are they yes. like, are y'all staying in dorms? Where are y'all staying? Do you know? No, I think we're staying, um, at, I can't remember which hotel it is. It's like a, it's a really four seasons or some other really prestigious name. I don't, I don't know that that's it, but I remember when they said the name of the hotel, I went, Oh, okay, well that won't be bad. But um, I do think that there's going to be a pretty, the the rules have really varied in terms of how we're functioning. Florida was, I don't want to say lax, but you know, you went into the lobby to get a cup of coffee without your mask. You weren't like getting handcuffed or anything like that. Uh, Vegas has been pretty strict where we've been at the residence. And my understanding is that, uh, fight Island will be extremely, extremely strict. And we will mm. be spending a lot of times, a lot of time in our individual rooms. <laughs> well, get a, get a Kindle is what I'll get tell you. Kindle. Get a Kindle. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, Laura, great work as always and, uh, safe travels and happy birthday to your son. And we'll talk soon. Thank you so much. Thank you, Luke. Thanks. Appreciate it. The biggest names in the combat sports world are on MMA Tonight. Cody Garbrandt joins us. I got to the title fast under two years in the UFC, won a world championship, trailblazed to the top. This time is going to be way more generous, way more sacrifice. And I just said, are you prepared to throw it all in and erase the last few years and what happened and go from there? Once I had that hard part with myself and, and stopped really making excuses or just got back to the hard work, I mean, the simplest fun of hard work pays off. Happy to be back, excited to have those feelings back inside the octagon, back to loving it and then just working hard for it. Tuesday through Thursday from 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern. So let's be honest about this. I said it before, right? Certainly, if you watch Saturday's card, relative to the amount of enthusiasm that we had for it, there's no doubt it over-delivered, okay? I don't know how you could argue otherwise. If you listen to what everybody had to say, including me, including everyone else over the weekend, or I should say before the weekend, you know, I think some of us said, oh, this fight might be good. Feely, right? Feely, Charles Jordan, I think we said it was going to be good. Main event was not bad. 
probably didn't deserve to be a main event, but you know, it was not a bad fight on its own by any stretch of the imagination. And there was a couple of other ones in there, uh, throughout scattered, I should say, throughout the card that were kind of interesting, but no one really cared about the card in, in any kind of full throated way. And then, sure enough, the fights take place, and uh, they're you know they certainly over delivered relative to expectations. I mean, here's a perfect example: like Tyson Nam, I think, had not had a win in the UFC through several fights. So I think at least two. And then he finally gets his UFC win, and not only did he get it, he got it with an emphatic KO, right? So uh, it was kind of like that. I mean, the first three fights ended within the first minute, and then you have Murad Devalishvili sort of running over people. Then you had Maria Agapova doing what she was doing, slowed down a little bit through the course of the main card, and, and so on and so forth. But again, relative to expectations, it no doubt over-delivered. All right. Well, Dana was asked about the criticisms of the card, which I think were twofold. One that the main event did not deserve to be a main event, and that, two, the card in general was just not that great. Um, in any event, here's how Dana responded to it. Cut seven. Listen, 20 years. How many, how many bad cards have we had in 20 years? I can count on one hand. Listen, not every fight is for everybody. Watch, don't watch this one. Watch the next one. Don't watch the next three. Watch the one after that. Believe me, we got nothing but fights going on all this summer. So if you don't like it, don't watch it. But... You know, everybody's got to jump in there and give their two cents and chime chime in. This card sucks. No cards suck. And if you're a fight fan, you watch all the fights. Yeah, that's a funny thing to say. Uh, no cards suck. Well, what about the cards put on by rival promoters? Do those suck? By the way, if your argument is that no cards suck, that means all of them suck. Right, I mean, it, it, that that is the uh, only possible conclusion that you could draw, which of course is not what he is suggesting. But uh, here's what he's trying to say: Listen, how can you say a card is bad if you've not seen how the fights play out yet? But this is the argument, which is which is a, which is a reasonable thing to say in terms of uh, being a promoter. It's it's a fair response to give. Now there are responses to it, which I'm going to give you, but I don't think in and of itself saying Look, the fights haven't even taken place yet. Like how could you know that they're bad? Okay, but there there are a couple of responses, which is one, again, people like to say, you know, oh, the media is being, you know, critical about this. And again, the media plays a role in hyping a card potentially or hyping a fight. But, you know, we can cover all of the, you know, you pick it, fights from a regional scene or Bellator or whatever that you don't care about. It's going to be very hard to convince people to actually care about them. There's sort of this organic uh, push that tends to happen naturally that gets fight fans hyped. An educated fight fan will be more likely to watch a card that you saw on Saturday, but they're also much more likely to understand what they're in or not in for. The reality about Saturday's fight card is, to an extent, Dana's right, which is to say the UFC is at a place now and MMA is at a place now where the best practices of fighting have gotten so good and they have such a stranglehold on the top talent that it's going to be hard for any card to just be straight up terrible, like relative to what you would see at a regional scene. Uh, but did the fight card have any star power? No. Did the fight card have an appropriate main event? Certainly debatable. And did the fight card have a bunch of fights that the average fight fan could be invested in? Of course it did not. Again, a couple here or there, certainly. Uh, interesting car, uh, you know, bouts um, uh, sprinkled through in or uh, fighters you might care about individually. Yeah, that's always going to be the case. But no, it did not have a lot of star power. It had a questionable main event, and it did not have fights that people were especially invested in. I mean, for crying out loud, the co-main, where, by the way, uh, one of the fighters had missed weight, they were hyping it based on the hotel, you know, uh, melee that had happened 
in Jacksonville when Roberson had missed weight the first time. I mean, Jesus Christ, this is the material you're using to hype a fight. You know, it's like if you're doing it at that point, like, okay, you know, you're not working with much. And let's be honest, they're just trying to churn out as much as they can to meet demands, with which, again, like I've said it before, you got to cut the UFC a little bit of a break, you know? They're doing, in general, probably, uh, you could say they should be paying more for their top stars. But I think in terms of running the overall operation, you know, they're doing the best they can, I think, in a lot of different ways with the best that they have. And I think that's a fair argument to make, too. But, you know, here's the other part about it. Like, it's like uh, no cards suck until after they're over. I mean, this is just, you know, it's a silly thing to say. It's just a totally silly thing to say. This card this weekend on paper looks a lot better. And I suspect it will do better in the ratings. I suspect Saturday's card is going to reflect the reality of what I'm talking about. It doesn't matter what I say on this show. Uh, Fight fans, uh, and there's all different types, either they're going to be aware of the card or they're not, and that's going to be a function of star power, the fights they care about, the fighters they care about, and everything else in between. And relative to those considerations, the card lacked. And it doesn't matter how much I tell you it's good or that you should not believe your lying eyes, blah, blah, blah. Fight fans know better. They're always going to know better. They're going to make a, de- a determination about it, and I guarantee you the ratings will reflect that in the end. Uh, no pizza sucks until you've eaten it. Well, are you sure about that? I'm pretty sure if I had some frozen pizza that's been in there, it's not going to be as good as the handmade kind with the guy with the clay oven that he flew in from Italy. I'm, you know, I could be wrong about that, but I'm fairly confident in saying that there's going to be a difference in quality there without me having to actually taste it. Cobb, did you end up watching on Saturday night? At all? Uh, back and forth, yeah. A little bit live. I was kind of flipping back and forth between channels. Um, I watched most of the main live. The prelims I got to later. I fell asleep during the main card, but that was only because I had taken sleeping pills. So I don't mean to suggest <laughs> that I was bored out of my mind. I did see the uh, Agapa, uh, Agapova, Agapova fight. Mm-hmm. That's how you pronounce her name. She seemed to be awesome. I saw the Davalishvili fight. Um but, you know, I always find these criticisms hilarious. It's like, oh, you never know until the car. And, and by the way, it's also just a promoter trick. It's like, hey, uh, you know, by the way, if a card is stacked, they will tell you, oh, this one is stacked. Well, the last one wasn't. So which one? They're all cards stacked or all cards not stacked. I mean, understand the, the logical inconsistency here. But the better part is um, I, 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 I suspect that when the ratings come in, it's going to reflect everything that we had in terms of the enthusiasm beforehand. Yes, it is certainly possible that cards can overdeliver, and I think Saturday is a clear example of that. But this idea that you need to watch all of them and real fight fans watch all the fights, no, people who have narrow interests watch all the fights. Real fight fans are actually, they have a greater appetite in general, that's true, but they're much more discerning as well, and that's not how you get the casual fan interested anyway. Just sort of pointing that out here. 877-FIGHT-93, 877-344-4893. We got a little bit more from Dana here that I kind of want to get to. Um, This ought to be funny. On the fans' disappointment uh, with Fight Island, I want to hear this. Cut four. The lighting grid. I mean, you, you couldn't put the lighting grid on a beach. You could try it. I don't think it's going to turn out very well. Um, I'm always afraid of the elements, you know, wind, rain, you know, all, all the things that can happen. Uh, I like the comfort and safety of an arena. 
and pulling off a perfect show. I mean, that, that, that's what I'm into every single time we go out and do it. Um, so, yeah. I mean, it, pulling off what, what the fantasy of Fight Island was is, is pretty tough. And I think it would look like shit on TV, too. I'm not even saying I disagree with him. I've seen the Fight Island thing. You can watch it on Bodog Fight. It's not that interesting. Oh, there's water in the background. Okay. Cobb, what is it of the obsession with, like, Fight Island as some kind of fantasy island? I don't know that I understand it. uh, On some level, I'm not saying all bars are the same, right? A dingy bar versus a bar on the beach with a great view. Okay, that's cool. But that's like an experiential thing. Whereas, yes, watching fights is experiential, but like you're not the one actually fighting. On some level, it's like, what is the big deal? I don't. I, I got to be honest. I don't know that I get it. I don't know. We might just be too jaded out souls. That's why neither, neither one of us was like, oh my god, Fight Island. This is going to be the greatest thing we've ever seen. It's so cool. I think fans got that impression of like, Enter the Dragon, and they let it. They let them think that that's what it was going to be. Like, with, with with what Dan is talking about, with all the production, there was no way they were just going to be out on the beach. Like, there's just too much to do. And Dana's right. You got to worry about rain, all these different things. I don't know what the fan, the fan over the top, like, oh, God, Fight Island's going to be the greatest thing ever was all about. But, yeah, I'm, I'm fine with what they're doing. This is kind of what I expected them to do. Yeah, I just don't understand. It's like, dude, wouldn't you rather have uh, a cage that's well lit? You know, about looking bad or good on TV, you know, I don't know. Also, Cobb, it's July. What is the current temperature in Abu Dhabi? Let me see. Current temp in, when they got to be, it's got to be close to nighttime there in Abu Dhabi. All right. So the current time, by the way, is uh, it's 10 p.m. It's 93 degrees, Cobb. 93 <laughs> degrees, and it's June. What is the temperature? In July, let's see, in July, in Abu Dhabi. Uh, yeah, it's around 107 degrees. And you jackasses want to be fighting on the beach? For what, dude? Yeah, you know, how hot was it when uh, Poirier fought Habib? Oh, 120. And that 120. Like, what, afternoon? Yeah, 120. <laughs> Yeah, you can't, you can't be putting these fighters through this stuff, guys. <laughs> I don't know what to tell what, 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 you. Guys, you guys want them to fight in the sauna, for crying out loud? I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. Uh, so, you know, I just don't understand what people are doing here. Thanks for listening. Catch the Luke Thomas Show live and in its entirety weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. On Twitter, follow at L Thomas News and the channel at MMA on Sirius XM.